This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? Can you believe how hot it is lately? It's pointless to shower these days. I get out, dry off, and in two minutes I'm drenched in milk anyway. Oh, wait, I never told you I sweat milk, did I? Yeah, I'm starting to think that's why all those stray cats keep showing up when I check the mail in the morning. Anyway, welcome back to Dead and Roasted. You're just in time for another delicious break. You don't want to miss today's stories. There will be the most disturbing ghosts you've ever heard of, and a tragic accident that will make your jaw hurt. Enjoy these tales from the break room. It stared at me from the dark, from days and dust, I work for a three-floor house museum that is rumored to be haunted by some of the former residents, a belief that I myself now share. I had seen some things before around the house, white wisps darting into rooms, the sounds of voices or walking on the floors I wasn't on. Hell, I've even had my bag tugged by some unseen force. I tend to embrace whatever our spirits here give me, it's silly, but when I'm alone, I do talk to them. I see them as friends, sometimes even colleagues. None of my experiences ever bothered me, as much as the encounter I'm about to share with you. Even now, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It was a Friday, and we had a paranormal investigation group come to walk around the museum for a few hours. Nothing too out of the ordinary. We've been having groups come in for the past year, usually recurring groups, but this group was new. There were four of them, and they were really nice. They even took me along, giving me a camera to hold, explaining things as they went along, so that I could understand. It was pretty cool, to be honest, and it made me feel like I was an actual investigator. There were five of us going through the house, and for the most part, all we really got were a couple of voices. The spirit box did go off quite a few times, but nothing too overly exciting. This wasn't beyond the usual. A lot of the evidence other groups tended to get were voices. But you could tell these guys were a little disappointed. After a few hours, we headed up to the third floor to investigate there. The lead investigator, Dave, asked me if I could shut off all the lights. He explained they wanted to do an experiment. He wanted us to sit in the dark and see, once our eyes were adjusted, if we could get anything to interact with us. I obliged in excitement, turning off every light and soon joining them upstairs in one of the kids' bedrooms. 
It was a pretty fun thought, getting to interact with some of the ghosts here. Now, the doorway I sat in front of was connected to two hallways. The first, if you went straight out of the room, would lead to a couple of other rooms, and to the main stairs at the end. The other hallway to the left went down a wall of paintings and photographs towards the servant's staircase and another bedroom. All the window shutters were closed on this floor, so it was pitch black. The only light was the occasional flicker of the fire alarm that would briefly light up the ceiling of the hallway. Sitting in the doorway, I stared down the hallway in front of me, the one going towards the main staircase, and for five or so minutes, I sat there in darkness. Eventually, someone from the group behind me started to comment on seeing a woman in white down the hallway, something that I just didn't see. I started to get annoyed after a while, thinking they were just messing with me. After a few moments, though, after squinting in the dark in front of me, I feel the sudden overwhelming urge that I'm being watched. I turn my head briefly towards the hallway to my left, and I stare there for a moment, seeing nothing but inky blackness. I went to move my head, thinking I was fooling myself, when I realized something. I watched as the fire alarm light blinked, and instead of seeing the portraits on the wall, all I see is a giant black mass. My stomach dropped when I saw it, especially at how massive this shadow seemed to be. The ceiling on this floor is about 10 feet tall, so this shadow had to be at least 7 or 8 feet tall. It barely reached the top of our painting exhibit racks, which are a little over 8 feet tall, I think. It stood maybe 5 feet away from me, just staring. I couldn't see any features of it, but I could just feel its eyes on me. I whispered to Dave that there was something in that hallway, but he and his crew were too busy whispering behind me about the lady they were seeing. One of the investigators closest to me, Mary, soon grew very quiet. I don't know if she saw what I saw, or just got sick of sitting in the dark, but she quickly flicked on her flashlight and announced that they were going to take a break. I turned mine on as well and shone it down that hallway, but there was nothing. I told the group about the thing in the hallway, and in excitement, Dave said that I should try communicating with it this time, if it returned. They turned the lights out again, and after 10 minutes, I started to feel that sensation once more. But this time, the blackness was only a few feet away. Once again, I couldn't make out any features. This time, however, it was close enough that I was sure I could clearly see the large shadow in the darkness. At the prodding of Dave earlier, I'd hesitantly sat down this time with my legs outstretched, one towards where the shadow now stood. I asked it to touch my ankle in a shaky voice, starting to lose my cool as I watched it move towards me. I could make out what looked to be a large hand with long fingers coming from the mass. I could feel the cold as it had started to move towards my ankle. It was slow, agonizingly slow as if it were in slow motion. This time, though, I think Dave saw it too. Just before the shadow could grab my ankle, he quickly turned on his flashlight and announced that the experiment was over. That was that. We turned on the lights and explored for a bit longer in the light until the investigation was done. I still work at that museum, and I haven't seen the form since then.
Dave said that sometimes ghosts try to take on bigger and scarier looking forms to intimidate the living, while some of the other investigators claimed that it might have been a shadow person. I personally don't know what it was or what its intentions were at all. I go to that part of the house quite regularly with tours and I've never witnessed anything like it during the day. I wonder if it was trying to communicate with me that night or if it was just curious as to why a living person was there that late at night to begin with. Whatever it was, I still do feel its stare sometimes when I'm alone. It used to be only on the third floor, but now it seems to have followed me to my office on the second floor. I always find myself looking up towards the stairs when I get that feeling, but I never see anything. If anyone has any ideas on what this could be, let me know. I'm open to any ideas, but to be honest, I'm not sure if I want to see it again. But maybe my curiosity is getting the better of me. All I do know is that the day I see an eight-foot-tall shadow mass in the middle of the day, that's the day I'm quitting. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Ghost at Chuck E. Cheese From Jazzy J I graduated from a Christian school and I was 18, so I needed a job to pay for college. One of the seniors I graduated with recommended I work at Chuck E. Cheese, which is where he worked. I was accepted pretty quickly and just as quickly I realized how stressful the job was. I worked as a game room attendant. I was the one that customers called for when they needed tokens, cleaned tables, delivered pizzas, and helped little kids find their mom or dad. It was fine at first when I had help, but as soon as I began to settle in, I was the only game room attendant for the closing shift. During the closing shift, half of the restaurant is already turned off. The games are as well. Except one, The Haunted Mansion. I was told about that game, that it would sometimes turn on during the night while being connected to no power. I paid that no mind, I didn't want to assume the worst. Being part of a family that was raised Christian, I was taught to ignore the paranormal as to not catch any attention from it. During one shift, I was the only one in the game room area, cleaning the tables near the cashier, where the last lights were on. Did you turn off the games? One of the girl cashiers, Dee, asked. 
I turned to her, then back at the darkness and scanned the area. The games are all connected to one power source, I explained. If one's on, all of them are going to be on. Well, I swear I saw a light flashing or something. Maybe it was just a car passing by. She calmed herself as she continued her mopping. Another female cashier, A, grinned as she came over. Maybe it was Angie's ghost. At this, D flinched and glared at her. Don't say that. I watched them for a bit, confused about this Angie's ghost. But I decided not to bother and went on with my duties. At Chuck E. Cheese, every employee must be Chuck E. This is done every hour or so of the day. A small broom closet is where employees went to change into the costume. The inside of it smelled really bad, and in the closet there was a door at the back wall which was locked. You could peek in through the top, since the small wooden door was shorter than the actual frame. But it was dark, and you could see the sunlight from the other door also peeking in on the other side. This is where it began to get weird. I dreaded going into that closet. It wasn't just because the costume smelled like vomit, but the darkness in that room behind the closet never felt, well, empty. Every time I changed, I felt someone staring at me, shooting daggers at my back as I put on the costume, and I never dared to look back, because when I did, there would be nothing but a small silhouette of a head showing up to break the light coming from the other door. But I knew no one was there, which terrified me more as I tried to ignore it. While closing, I was always the last one to leave, along with my manager who just stayed in the office. But I was the only one outside, alone in the darkness. I would always put on my headphones, listening to music as I cleaned, but I could never have both of them in. I always had just one earbud in, because every time I put in both, the feeling of being watched enveloped me. And even worse, it felt as if someone was always walking up to me. The bathrooms were taken care of by the cashiers. I never went to the restroom because I was always needed by a customer or by my manager. But one opening shift made me 100% sure that what I was feeling and sensing was not in my head, and I would never use that restroom ever again. On the day of that opening shift, there was a blackout. We had to sit out in the front tables near the windows, so as not to trip in the semi-darkness of the building. My female manager kept saying she wanted to go into the dark office for the phone, to call and see what's going on. Don't do it, or else Angie's ghost will get you. A would call out to her as the manager ran into the darkness. That's when I decided to ask her about it. Who is Angie? What ghost? A looked over at me with a wide expression. You haven't felt it. There's a ghost here. It was brought here by an old employee named Angie. The cook looked over with fear and shushed her. Shh, don't talk about her. I've had enough of her. One time I walked out to take out the trash, and when I turned to look back at the door, there was a flash of black hair. Then a hand grabbed the door and shut it. It was locked, too. He exclaimed. I had to run to the front and have Dee unlock the door to let me in, and we checked the cameras. Nothing but static. Soon, the lights to the building turned back on. Everyone returned to their normal places. But I had a bad feeling in my chest after that story. I felt like something was going to happen. I just didn't know what. 
and the feeling of being watched wasn't helping at all. And to my horror, I needed to use the restroom. After a long time hesitating, I went. I didn't like the restroom there. It felt off, and the cashiers would tell me strange things happened in the girls' restroom. I ran in, and I took the last stall out of the four. The feeling of being watched was even worse. I felt my heart pounding out of my chest as I finished up. Once I was done, I went towards the sink to wash my hands, but as I approached the sink, I noticed the first stall, which was closed when I walked in, was now wide open, and there was someone inside. There was a little girl, with long, black hair covering her face. She was in a white dress. My skin crawled as I saw her. As ashamed as I am to say this, I was so afraid, I left without washing my hands. I didn't want to be in that restroom any longer, and before anyone tries to debunk this, we hadn't opened to anyone yet, so it wasn't a customer, and the only girls there at the time were me, A, and the manager, who were at the front counting the registers for the day. So I knew at that moment, that was Angie's ghost, the one I'd heard so much about, and she did not like me. I told my parents about this, and immediately they told me to ignore it. They told me to pray before I walked into work and to listen to Christian music while I cleaned. Once I began doing this, I would feel a bubble surrounding me, like a shield, and I would still feel her watching me from a distance, even walking around the bubble, looking for a way to get closer to me. But she never could, and for a while, I stopped feeling her near me. On my last week of working there, we had a full house. I was so busy stocking tickets and tokens that I had to be pulled aside by a dad needing some assistance with a particular photo booth. This photo booth was a little red car with Chucky sitting in the passenger seat, and the driver's seat is where the kids would sit and take their pictures. Once a picture was taken, it would print out on the side of the engine of the car. So yeah, our pictures aren't coming out. Could you help us? The dad asked me. I quickly followed the dad to the machine. His little girl had blonde hair and two pigtails with a bright yellow dress. I said hello before kneeling down to the printer part of the booth. Once I opened it up, I saw her photo stuck inside. I pulled it out, but I could feel that there were more photos jammed up behind it. I assumed they were also hers and handed the three photos to the dad. I started closing up the machine when the dad spoke again. Hey, uh, these pictures aren't my daughter's. I looked up at him as he handed me two photos back. The first one's mine, but the last two aren't. They look kind of creepy, don't they? He said. I looked at the photos, and my eyes watered. There, sitting at the driver's seat, where the camera takes the picture, was a little girl with black hair covering her eyes, wearing a white dress. The second photo was her holding the camera with skinny, pale arms. When I looked back up, the dad and his daughter were already at another game. I took the photos and ran to the kitchen to show the cook. Look, is this her? I yelled, rushing over to him and explaining everything that happened. His face went white. He nodded with wide eyes. He quickly showed the female manager, exclaiming that he was indeed telling her the truth. 
Once everyone took a look at those photos, we placed them in the small break room, which was just a small shelf and under it were hooks for people's bags and purses. I continued my duties for the night while telling my friend who guards their front entrance about the whole situation. She didn't get to see the photos and wanted to see them herself. I quickly went to the break room to obtain them, but to my surprise, the pictures were not there. Hey, did you take the photos? I asked the cook. He turned to me and shook his head. No, why? Well, I wanted to show them to my friend, but they're not there. Did someone go into the break room and get them? I asked again. Everyone looked around the whole kitchen. No one ever saw those photos again. They were just gone. I've never had an experience like this, and I hope it's the last. To that ghost, I hope we never meet again. Spark and I saw hell. From Matthew. I live on the border of Virginia and West Virginia. It's a beautiful place here in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I started working for a tree clearing service. We had to go up to West Virginia and clear out a hillside for a gas line they were installing. We got up there and got to work. There were houses close to this hillside. After laying down a few trees, we got to one we were worried might hit a house, so we decided to use a cool called a come-along to pull it in the direction we wanted it to fall. We hooked up two of them to two different trees, running ropes up to the tree. I had never done this before, so all I was told was when it fell loose in my hands to step back from the come-along. My rope was run through another tree. As I started to crank, the man in the bucket truck began to cut the tree, and when I felt it get loose, I stepped back. Well, with that rope through the other tree, when the tree fell, it yanked that come-along up in the air, and it hit me right in my jaw. It threw me about five feet in the air, and I came down on my head. I was severely dazed. It took me a minute to get control of my body again. I had a severe concussion. Finally, when I sat up, I could tell half my face had been crushed in, and I was severely bleeding. I stayed calm, but the other guys around me began to panic. They had never been in a situation like this. I just kept saying I needed to get to the hospital as I kept spitting out blood. Finally, I got the boss to take me down to the hospital after he found a towel so I didn't get blood all over the truck. We made it to the hospital, and I was immediately taken in every doctor and nurse working on me. I had them call my girlfriend because she was the closest to the hospital. When she made it there, I was barely hanging on because of all the blood loss. I had cut an artery in my face, and my jaw had been completely shattered. They were going to med-flight me out and put me under to slow the blood loss. Then my girlfriend asked how long I would be asleep for. Maybe just a few hours? The doctor replied, probably a few days. That's when I started freaking out, truly realizing how close to death I was. But they put me under, and they put me on a ventilator. They med-flighted me out to Roanoke for emergency surgery to stop the bleeding. During that time, I had an out-of-body experience. I remember seeing nothing but complete darkness. I tried to move, but I couldn't. It felt as if every nerve in my body was on fire. Then I noticed the sounds... They were truly horrifying. 
The pain, the torture, the endless suffering I heard around me was like nothing Hollywood has ever come up with. Then I felt this presence coming towards me. I could feel the hate and maliciousness coming from it. I just wanted to run, but I couldn't do a thing. I began to think this was my fate, that in life I had been a terrible person, and I began to ask for forgiveness. As I did that, a beautiful white light started to shine in front of me. In that light stood a man. I couldn't see his face, but I could see he was wearing white clothes. He reached out his hand towards me, and with everything in me, I reached out for his hand, grabbing it. At the same time, something grabbed my ankle. That's when I woke back up, still hooked to everything, still on the ventilator. My girlfriend was in the room. She was so happy to see my eyes open, to know that I was going to make it. The hospital staff were freaking out, afraid I was going to start pulling things out of me. I was just happy to be alive, to be honest. They put me back under and did the second surgery to restructure my jaw. I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and had a while to recover, but I can only say the place I saw was down under and I was saved by a righteous man. After these events, I seem to have more abnormal things happen to me, and to this day, I'm just happy I didn't stay in that place. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com.